Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Avraham Fisher, and this week's parasha is Parashat Re'eh, which uh, continues Moshe's uh, discussion, analysis um, of the mitzvot, and uh, he continues a topic uh, that he started in last week's parasha, uh, which is uh, the, the idea of sachav uh, onish, reward and punishment, that for keeping the mitzvot, uh, there will be blessing and uh, the opposite uh, for violating the mitzvot. Uh, and uh, in our parasha, he will continue on this topic and then also uh, discuss some of the mitzvot in, uh, in greater depth. Uh, we can say that uh, this parasha uh, can be said to be divided into, uh, <clears throat> let us say, uh, five uh, broad areas. Uh, the first uh, continues this idea of blessing and curse. Uh, he says that uh, for, you should see, you should take note, um, internalize, be aware that Hashem is placing before you blessing and curse. Um blessing for the obedience of the mitzvot and a curse for violating the mitzvot. And of course, that means that uh, you have free will. Uh, he goes on to say something that had been mentioned earlier in the Torah, uh, that upon entering the land of Israel, uh, it will be uh, necessary to place the blessing and the curse on the two mountains, uh, Har Gerizim and Har Eval. And there will be a, a, a more in-depth description of this, that uh, upon entering the land, the people will uh, assemble uh, at the convergence of these two mountains in order to commit themselves uh, to, the, uh, to the mitzvot. Uh, Moshe continues to the second topic, uh, which is uh, that uh, it is uh, vitally important to destroy uh, every aspect of idolatry uh, everywhere in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel uh, does not tolerate idolatry, and it will be your responsibility um, to 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 destroy it. And then uh, we move to the third topic, uh, which has a number of ramifications to it. Uh, he says, "Do not do so to Hashem." Um, what is it that we shouldn't do? Uh, so the primary meaning uh, in context is. Uh, you see that the idolaters uh, worship their gods in a number of places. Uh, they have many different uh, uh, places of worship and sacrifice. Uh, but when it comes to Hashem, there's one Hashem, and therefore there must be one and only one sanctuary, uh, the place where uh, Hashem will choose. It doesn't say exactly where that will be, but we know from later history that that place is uh, Yerushalayim. And uh, that is the only place uh, that um, uh, that uh, we bring the sacrifices, uh, centralized uh, sacrificial uh, order. Uh, that's the uh, that's the point that's being made uh, here. Um, and it's uh, it's a place uh, not only for sacrificing and worshiping Hashem, but it's also a place for the nation to come together. For the nation to come together in national rejoicing, and we'll talk more about that topic 
uh, later on in the uh, in the parasha. Uh, there's another idea uh, that is uh, that is alluded to here, uh, not to do so to Hashem, uh, namely uh, that uh, when one is destroying idolatry, uh, one has to be very careful. Uh, in a parallel sense, not to destroy anything associated with uh, with Hashem, and that's the basis for the uh, prohibition against erasing the name of Hashem. But primarily, uh, we're we're talking here about uh, how there must be one central place that Hashem will choose. Um, this will be the place for sacrifices and uh, and the like, as well as a place of national rejoicing. Uh, when you're uh, made aware. Uh, that you come to the to the sanctuary, you come together in this one place. So we are reminded: take care uh, of the Leviim. Uh, their uh, their task, uh, the whole tribe of Levi, <clears throat> is to uh, to serve in the uh, in the temple in the uh, Mishkan, uh, or later on in the Beit Hamikdash, and uh, you have to take care of them because they do not have land uh, in the land of Israel. Uh, so you. Their uh, their support depends upon you. Um, as we uh, continue <clears throat> this discussion about the significance of the uh, the Beit Hamikdash, um, uh, we are taught that uh, whereas sacrifices uh, in the desert were brought uh, in the Mishkan, uh, but only sacrificed uh, meat, only uh, consecrated meat could be eaten in the mid in the midbar, in the wilderness. But once they enter the land, um, they will be permitted not only to eat uh, meat that comes from sacrifices, if the uh, if the laws are kept, but it will also be uh, permissible to eat meat outside of the sanctuary, uh, what we call in halacha chulin, non consecrated meat, uh, and there are rules about this as well. And some of those rules are discussed uh, here. Uh, one of the rules uh, that is uh, said here and is said uh, elsewhere as well uh, is that uh, one must not uh, eat uh, blood. Um, this uh, instead, uh, this uh, the, the blood is to be uh, is to be removed, and uh, you don't eat the uh, the blood. Uh, but one is permitted to eat uh, meat. Um, Along the same lines, uh, we're reminded in a general sense, uh, don't worship Hashem the way that the idolaters uh, practice their worship. And this is an idea that we have elsewhere as well, um, that uh, that uh, idolaters may have eaten blood uh, or idolaters may have uh, done all kinds of abominable, abominable things even worse than this. Uh, uh, be careful not to use the same... Uh, methods of, uh, of worship that they use and somehow or other uh, make them permissible uh, by adapting them for the worship of Hashem. Uh, you have to stay away from their practices. We then move to the uh, fourth uh, topic, which is uh, a continuation of the, uh, the, the severity of idolatry, um, uh, which is uh, it is possible uh, that someone might lead you astray. So this next section is about those who might lead you astray to idolatry or to other sins, but the, the, the key to everything uh, is, uh, is idolatry, and how to deal with those who might lead you astray. Uh, 
within this uh, subject, the first of those who might lead you astray is a false prophet, uh, someone who you believed is a prophet, maybe even someone who has uh, behaved as a faithful prophet in the past. However, uh, it's now very clear that he is uh, prof- that he is prophesying in uh, in the name of uh, idolatry. Uh, and uh, first of all, one is not permitted to listen to him, pay no attention to what he says. Uh, and if the, he performs a miracle, ignore that because that is really just Hashem testing you and you must completely eradicate the evil uh, that is uh, spread by the false prophet. And that means that he is uh, executed. Second kind of person uh, you have to be careful about is a mesit, uh, an enticer, uh, someone who uh, uses their relationship uh, to entice you towards Avodah Zarah. They may be a close friend. They may be a beloved relative. Uh, if they're trying to entice you to Avodah Zarah, uh, pay no attention to them. Uh, do not have any mercy uh, on uh, on such a person. And the community uh, uh, executes such a person uh, by, by stoning. And the third type of uh, source of leading people astray is a city, an entire city, Irhanidachat, the wayward city, uh, where you have an entire city uh, that has uh, gone over to worshiping idols. And what is done uh, to, uh, to that city is that the inhabitants of the city are executed by a sword, and then the contents of the city uh, are to be burned, and the spoils are never to be used. And the city itself is never to be rebuilt. So these are three examples of those who might lead you astray. And uh, as the Torah wages an all-out war against idolatry, uh, the Torah is intolerant, if you will, uh, of, uh, of idolatry. Uh, so therefore, you have to be very, very careful about these enticements and, uh, and join the Torah's war against them. The fifth uh, topic of the parasha uh, can be entitled, uh, Israel is a holy nation. Uh, the people of Israel uh, is avoiding idolatry, that is true. Uh, but in a positive sense, they are devoted to uh, Hashem. Uh, we are uh, Hashem's children. And because we are ha- Hashem's uh, children, uh, we have to uh, behave accordingly. One, don't mutilate your, your bodies. Uh, don't think, as some idolaters apparently did, that uh, they show their devotion to God by mutilating themselves. No, that is not what is to, to be done. Uh, the Torah does not uh, permit any kind of uh, mutilating the body, uh, even, in, uh, even in mourning, <coughs> because you're holy. And then uh, the Torah continues this theme of you are a holy nation uh, by uh, discussing uh, what we refer to as the laws of kashrut. Uh, do not eat any, uh, any creature that is uh, considered an abomination. Uh, we had this subject earlier in the Torah, the book of Vayikra, uh, but here it is repeated. And remember, there are a number of mitzvot that are discussed elsewhere in the Torah, which Moshe repeats, but when he repeats very often, uh, he uh, enhances uh, the, the topic uh, under discussion. Um, 
so here, as we're talking about the animals that may not be, or the creatures that may not be eaten because of uh, because they're considered uh, abominations. Uh, so the Torah divides uh, living creatures uh, up into different classes. Uh, and it really has to do uh, basically with where they live, what is their place of habitat. Uh, so first we have land animals. When it comes to land animals, uh, the rule is they must have uh, cloven hooves, completely cloven hooves, uh, and they must chew their cud. If they're creatures that live in the water, which isn't synonymous with fish, there are things that live in the, in the water that are not fish, but in order to be uh, permissible, they must have both fins and scales. Then the Torah talks about um, flying uh, flying creatures. Uh, here, the Torah does not give a uh, some signs of forbidden or permissible uh, birds, but rather uh, gives a list of those types of creatures that are that fly. Uh, again, a lot of those are birds, but it also discusses in this context the bat, um, which flies, uh, and says that the, the following uh, are forbidden. So it gives a list, and bats, by the way, are among the forbidden, um, uh, among the things that are forbidden. Um, so it just gives a list of those types of flying things that are forbidden. Uh, and therefore, we can uh, figure out that whatever is not on that list uh, should be permissible, although the practice is that one must have a proper masora, a proper uh, tradition uh, that a uh, type of bird is permissible. The Torah then talks about insects, um, and uh, there are some permissible insects, certain types of uh, uh, certain types of grasshoppers uh, that are uh, permit permissible. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, there are uh, all other insects uh, are uh, are forbidden. Uh, then the Torah goes on, continuing to discuss this uh, idea of uh, how our diet is a reflection of our uh, sanctity. Uh, do not eat animals that have died without shechita. Uh, an animal that is permissible for eating has to be, its life must be taken, uh, but the life has to be taken through the process of shechita. If it is died uh, without shechita, uh, that, uh, that is forbidden. That kind of animal is called a nivela. And um, at the end of this section uh, that talks about uh, uh, forbidden and, and prohibited food, we're reminded once again that we are not permitted to eat meat and milk that have been cooked together. Uh, this has been mentioned uh, twice before in the Torah. This is the third time. Uh, remember that that means that meat and milk may neither be cooked together, may not be eaten if they've been cooked together, and if they've been cooked together, one may not have any benefit uh, from them. And uh, added to that are many uh, rabbinic prohibitions. Still talking about the uh, sanctity, the specialness, let's say, of uh, the, the Jewish people, that's reflected not only in uh, our diet, uh, but uh, also how we treat the food uh, that 
uh, comes from the land of Israel. Uh, so the Torah here talks about, um, first, Maaser uh, Sheni, the second tithe. Uh, remember, after taking Truma, which uh, according to the Torah can be any amount, uh, the Torah then requires that we take two Maasrot, two tenths, two tithes. Here the Torah is talking about Maaser Sheni, the second tithe. And uh, what's, what happens to that is that it is eaten in the place that Hashem will choose. Again, we know that that place eventually is Jerusalem. Um, the Torah then goes on to say that if the place is too far away for one to take all that food and transport it, then it's possible to convert the money, uh, to convert the food into money, and then take that money to buy food, which is eaten in the place which Hashem will choose, namely Jerusalem. And once again, we're reminded that when you go to Jerusalem, you have to remember to take care of the uh, of the levy. Uh, the, the levy actually receives uh, Maaser Rishon. Uh, that's one of the things that he receives. Um, as long as we're talking about Maaserot, the Torah goes on to say um, that uh, at certain times of the year, it's required to remove all the Maaserot from the home in order to make sure that they have been uh, distributed properly. Uh, at the, uh, the Maaserot, have a uh, have a cycle. They have a cycle of uh, three years, which is then repeated. At the end of the third year, uh, one takes the masrot out of the home, and uh, they mu- must they must be made available to those who are supposed to receive them, uh, which might include the levy, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, and um, the poor. Still continuing the topic of what makes the Jewish people special and holy um, is the way that we uh, treat uh, other Jews who are in need. Um, and in this context, we talk about uh, what's called Shemitat Ksafim, the release of debts. Uh, if a person uh, has uh, owes, has taken a loan uh, and owes money, uh, of course, they're supposed to pay it back, but sometimes that's not possible uh, or it goes on for a long time. And so the Torah says that uh, at the end of the seventh year, that debt is released, is canceled. Um, of course, that would also uh, be a, an incentive for the person who owes the money to pay it before then. Um, and uh, the Torah reminds us that uh, if this is observed, there will be blessing for both for you and for the nation. Uh, and at the same time, just because the debt could be released at the end of seven years, that should not be a reason you're, you're forbidden from uh, refraining from lending the money if you have the means to do so to those who need it. And the Torah reminds us once again uh, to support the poor. Still continuing the, the theme of the sanctity of, uh, of the Jewish people, uh, we talk about the requirement to free uh, fellow Jews, fellow Hebrews that have been sold as a slave. Uh, this has been discussed also, uh, earlier in the Torah. Uh, it is possible for a Jew uh, to find himself as a slave very often because of uh, poverty uh, or he's incurred a, uh, a type of debt that he is unable to uh, unable to pay. So uh, he does not serve for more than six years. At the end of six years, he must be uh, released. And the Torah says that when you release him, you have to give the slave certain material support so that he can start his, his life again 
uh, afresh. And remember, and this is one of the many places where the Torah uh, re- tells us to remember, uh, you were once a slave um, and uh, you have to have uh, compassion towards him, uh, he, relying upon your collective historic memory uh, about uh, about what it was to be a slave. Uh, now it's possible, says the Torah here, that a slave, uh, after the six years, uh, will refuse to leave. If that's the case, you take him to the door and you uh, make a, a hole in his ear uh, to mark him as someone who is choosing to be a slave over uh, the uh, over a free life, which is, uh, of course, has its challenges. Uh, and then he remains a slave. Uh, it says forever, but uh, we understand that that means until Yovel, until the 50th year. In the 50th year, uh, even these f- slaves are set free. Uh, still continuing the subject of the holiness of the Jewish people, uh, we, uh, we learn about how to treat the firstborn uh, of animals. Uh, the the uh, firstborn of animals are to be treated as holy. This is an echo, once again, of, uh, of the exodus from Egypt, because at the exodus, the firstborn uh, uh, of, of Egypt all died. And uh, as a result, the firstborn of the, uh, from among you uh, is to be sanctified. Uh, here, the Torah doesn't talk about the firstborn of people, although that's uh, discussed elsewhere. Here's the firstborn of animals, and the firstborn of animals are holy, and that means they're to be sacrificed and eaten by the Kohanim. Uh, they're not to be uh, worked nor uh, shorn uh, of its of their wool for uh, for any purpose. If, however, the animal develops a blemish, a physical de- uh, blemish that renders it no longer holy, then it may be eaten, and it may be eaten um, by uh, by anyone, not only by Kohanim. Um, uh, and once again, we're reminded that uh, you're permitted to eat meat, but uh, do not uh, do not eat blood. Um, Still continuing this theme of the uh, sanctity of the Jewish people, uh, we also learn about what makes us holy uh, through our observance of, uh, of festivals. Specifically, the Torah here re- reviews the, what we call the Shalosh Regalim, the, um, the, the pilgrimage festivals. Um, and so we have a review of uh, Pesach, uh, counting the Omer, Shavuot, Sukkot, and uh, we're reminded that uh, males uh, are required to make the pilgrimage to uh, to the place that God will choose. Again, we know that that place is Yerushalayim. Uh, three times a year, uh, you uh, you must go uh, to that place and rejoice. This will be the place for national. Uh, coming together and rejoicing, a theme that we talked about earlier. Um, and uh, But while you are rejoicing, uh, do not forget uh, those who are most in need. Um, do, not, uh, do not forget uh, those who are poor uh, and uh, take care of the needy as well. Um, so a, a theme that runs through this uh, parasha a great deal is uh, how there is one unifying place for the one 
uh, unifying uh, worship of Hashem. Uh, later, that place is chosen. That place is uh, is Yerushalayim. Uh, let's talk about this idea uh, in greater depth. Uh, the Torah says, Lo ta'asun ke'in l'ashem alokechem. Uh, don't do so to Hashem. In other words, don't worship Hashem the same way, but rather, but only the, the place that Hashem will choose, um, from among all of your tribes, he's going to choose a special place, to place his name there, uh, that's where you are to go. Uh, he will establish his uh, his dwelling there. That will be his place of uh, of divine uh, presence and divine influence. Uh, that's where you are to uh, to go. Uh, and as I've said uh, before, the, uh, the the function of the mikdash, the function of Yerushalayim, is to unify the people of Israel in one unified way of. Uh, worshiping and serving Hashem, and it also serves as a place of uh, national rejoicing, national uh, coming together. Uh, when the Ramban discusses uh, the this verse, um, he says uh, v- very basically what the uh, what the verse is saying is that you you will come uh, to Hashem, you will come to seek out a, a way of coming close to Hashem. From far, uh, from far and wide, um, and you want to know what is the place uh, to uh, to this place. So everyone will say, "Come." He quotes from Yeshayahu, "Lechuvena ale el har Hashem el beit Yaakov." Come, let's go up to the Lord's mountain, the house of the of the God of Jacob. Uh, he quotes also from Yirmiyahu uh, that uh, this will be a place that people will and should. Uh, seek out, um, and even uh, makes reference to the to the Sifri, to the Midrash uh, on our uh, parasha, um, that when you seek out this place, you seek it out by means of the Navi. Uh, the Navi is going to uh, be instrumental in, in telling you where that place should be, if it's necessary to rebuild, uh, but it's through your, it's through the Navi that you will learn uh, what is the uh, what is the right place? But then the midrash, which the Ramban uh, adds, uh, which Ramban quotes, uh, is quick to add. Don't think that you have to wait for the navi to tell you, uh, because it also says lishichno tidrashu. You shall inquire. In other words, you must um, develop a a desire, uh, a probing uh, desire to to come to that place. Uh, don't wait for the Navi. Uh, you have to want to go there. Uh, and uh, of course, when you want to find out, the Navi will be uh, will be helpful in telling you what the precise place, when it's necessary to tell you the price, precise place and manner to build the, uh, the temple. But your ongoing requirement is to seek uh, this, uh, this place, to seek this close connection uh, with Hashem. Uh, so, uh, so uh, in this uh, in this way, the Ramban reminds us that uh, even when the Beit Hamikdash uh, has not yet been rebuilt, uh, we have a requirement 
to to desire it to be built, to desire to uh, to to reunite with uh, with an intense relationship with Hashem uh, at that place. He concludes by reference to uh, to a concept in uh, in Kabbalah. He calls this, of course, al derech haemet, in the uh, in the the true uh, the true manner, the true way um, that uh, the words. Uh, you shall inquire after his uh, presence that refers to God's um, uh, his glory and uh, and you should come there wanting to 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 behold Hashem to come close uh, to Hashem uh, this seems to be a, an allusion to the idea that it is in and through Yerushalayim uh, that uh, that it is possible to achieve uh, and the Ramban concludes by saying that from this word lishichno uh, uh, for his uh, this this word that means his dwelling that we uh, have the term and the concept of God's presence which is shechina that God's uh, presence and of course we learn that uh, the shechina uh, remains in uh, in the place where the uh, Beit HaMikdash uh, once stood, and which we pray uh, will be the place where it will stand uh, once again. I thank you all very much for joining me in uh, our exploration of uh, this week's Parsha, Parashat Re'eh. This has been Rabbi Abraham Fisher for Parasha Highlights and Insights, saying Shalom. Shalom.